0: Hey, good to see you all, and uh, thank you so much for sending us down to Southwest Florida. All those that went to Southwest Florida, would you come up front here and let us see you real quick? Come quickly, come quickly. And we took uh, 25 total, all of them, obviously, uh, there was from five different churches, so they're they're different churches today. But this was was a pretty good crew that we took, and uh, uh, this man right here, is a working machine. I've never seen anybody. Everybody agrees with me, don't they? I've never seen anybody word like Ed Stefani. I eat good, too. You eat good, too. Is Jennifer here? Where's Jennifer? Is your wife here? Right there. He talks good, too. He, He works and talks and works and talks all the time. But he worked really, really hard. And everybody did. Everybody did a great job. We appreciate you sending us. Like I said, there was 25 total of us that uh went down um uh and like from four, five different churches and so they're scared out we have four come from mississippi that are friends of mine from mississippi we just appreciate you all uh, sending us and being allowing us to be a generous church and bless people but we obviously couldn't do it without our volunteers i counted today and i know i'm not right on my count i over 125 people in the, in the 12 years that I've been here as a pastor have gone on different mission trips, whether that be foreign missions or more local missions that are in the states. And it's kind of become who we are. And I hope whenever I turn the reins over to, to a new pastor, it becomes it's still who you are because it's in the DNA of our church. So let's thank these people for the, their time to go. Thank you all. I'll tell you one quick story. Before, we would, ble- we would uh, go to homes and, and uh, you know, m- most people weren't expecting you and they never heard anything like, you know, people coming down and giving up their time and they never heard anything like that and, and uh, they would just be so, so grateful as we would if the situation was reversed and they would try to repay you. They would try to give you water. They would try to, to, to just... They would, the natural human condition is to try to repay. And... Um, and so that happened three or four times. It seemed like God was speaking to me—not an audible voice—but every time I heard somebody trying to repay, "What can I do to help you? Can I? Can, what can I give you?" Da it, da. It, it was just like God was kind of nudging me and saying, "You know, Mark, it's a human condition that wants to repay a free gift." And uh, we were giving them a free gift of our labor there—whether it took two hours or whether it took eight hours that day—it was our free gift. And, and God seemed to say to me, he said, that's what people do for me, Mark. He says, I give them a free gift to their son and they want to, they want to, they want to somehow pay it off or, or they want to somehow do their part. And he just wants us to accept it. And that's all we wanted to do. We would have been offended if somebody says, oh, can I write you a check for $3,000 for all the time that you put in? We've been offended by that. And I wonder sometimes as we try to pay back God, however in the world that could ever happen, you know. Uh, if if the father is somehow offended by that and just says would you receive this free gift now this free gift changes you and molds you and makes you into a new person but would you just receive it and would you say thank you because that's the only thing you could ever say for that never repay it and so God seemed to talk to me three or four times last week about that so again thanks again for uh, sending us and uh, unfortunately there will be other disasters and uh, i hope that we will uh, be able to go to those uh, as well we're in a series on hebrews chapter 11 i think this is week number nine and i apologize in advance because i've got something stuck in my throat today and every now and then my voice just gives out on me or or will not be as pleasant to listen to, and so I have to drink some water, so forgive me for all of that, but um, we're in Hebrews chapter 11, and we've looked uh, all the way through Hebrews chapter 11 at what faith does. This is not a chapter about Abraham. Because it, but it does say, by faith Abraham did this. This is not a chapter about Moses, but it says, by faith Moses did this, by faith Joseph did this, by faith Jacob did this, by faith Isaac did this, so forth and so on. It's not about the people. The point that the writer is trying to be able to get to us is this is what faith does. Faith is an action. And every time you see it, it says, by faith, then a person's name, then you'll see a verb of what faith did. Faith is just not a goosebumpy feeling. You know, we were, we were eating breakfast yesterday, and um, we, you know, uh, we went into the, the breakfast place, and, and uh, the girls, uh, you know, why are y'all a bunch of guys here together? And we told them what we're here for. And she goes, oh, it just gives me goosebumps. Faith, faith is not just a goosebumpy little thing. Faith is an action. Faith is a verb. Faith uh, propels us to do some things. It's not just something that you have. And so we've gone through each by week, week by week, and seen what does faith do in the lives of people. Faith is a verb. And if biblical faith is a verb. And if you have biblical faith, that produces action in your life. Not trying to repay God, but just by faith, there are things we do. By faith, 25 people went to Southwest Florida and put their faith into action. Uh, uh, faith is tangible, faith is down where the rubber meets the road okay and in hebrews chapter 11 we've come to verse 22 we've just been going verse by verse and we come to verse 22 and we say by faith joseph now this is obviously the old testament character of joseph uh, one of my favorite characters in all of the bible a godly godly man and his story is 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 recounted in about the last i think 11 chapters of genesis but it says by faith joseph when his end was near when he was about to die spoke of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, it's odd that when the writer looks back on Joseph's life that he remembers that action, that faith, uh, that that his faith was put into action in this way. Because you could remember Joseph for a lot of faith-filled things. Um, By faith, he resisted the temptation of Potiphar's wife if you know that story uh, by faith he interpreted dreams for a pharaoh if you know that story um, uh, by faith he reconciled to his brothers who were pretty much scoundrels and he did a lot of things by faith but the writer chooses to remember at his death at joseph's death that he gave instructions to his people and it says don't bury me here because my great-grandfather Abraham got a promise from God. And you take my bones up out of this place, Egypt, and you take them with you, and you bury them when you get to the promised land. He never saw the promised land. But by faith that had been passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Joseph's dad, Jacob, by faith he says, don't bury me here. Bury me in the land that God has promised to my great grandfather and my grandfather and my dad think how that could have been alright so he died they obviously would have put him in some kind of a coffin I'd assume it would have been a wood coffin and for the next uh, century or more the Israelites toted him around all through their journey which eventually ended up into the promised land. Bible calls it Canaan. They were carrying, I don't know, I mean, maybe there was a rotation of guys. And this, this week, these six guys do it. And next week, these six guys do it. And they carried the coffin. For more than a century that they struggled to make it to the promised land. What a, what a testimony that must have been. As, as generations died... And the, the new people say, well, we got to carry this coffin around. Then they, ha- they would have to tell the story of faith. The story of the promise again. The story of one man who says, because I have belief in that promise, don't bury me here. Take me and bury me in the land that God has promised you. Um, it's a fascinating picture. I don't know how all that worked out, but I feel pretty confident that they had to carry him around because of the promise that he, uh, that his great-grandfather received, um, and the hope that that promise brings. Joseph had hope for the promised land. Never saw it, never absolutely saw it, but he had hope for the promised land. Um, hope is a kind of a weird thing. A worldly hope, there's always some doubt in it. Well, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. That, that's always doubt in worldly hope. Well, I hope my team wins this afternoon. There's always doubt in worldly hope. Well, I hope my boys find a good Christian girl to marry. Okay? In worldly hope, there's always some doubt, but not in biblical hope. Biblical hope is a, is a confident expectation of what God has said, and God will do what God has said. That that is biblical hope. There, it's it's not a wishful, it's not a wishing type of thing. It's a, it's a confident expectation in what God has said. And Joseph was so confident in the promise that God has made to his great grandfather. He says, "Don't bury me. Bury me when you get there, the place that you're heading." Hope is part and parcel to who we are as uh, who we are as Christians. We are people of hope, uh, even though we have a world that things are happening that we just shake our head at and and those of us that live live long enough said that could have never happened 20 years ago never would have happened 30 years ago and we shake our head we should not be negative people we should be optimistic people because we are a people of hope because God is with us and all the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I'm just holding on till Jesus comes that is not biblical hope that is not biblical hope And Now, we don't stick our head in the sand and and pretend everything's okay, but even though things aren't okay, we have God here with us. And the God of hope is here with us, and he's promised to be with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. And that makes us people of hope. Romans chapter uh, 15, Paul talks about this in Romans 15, 13. He says, may the God of hope, and I think in one translation it says the God of all hope, Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We as Christians are people of hope. Biblical hope. There is an optimism about this. No, we don't put blinders on. No, we don't think the world. Everything in the world is happening is great. But even though things going difficult, uh, things are not going right in the world. God is with us. We have the indwelling Christ inside of us. We've got the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. And even though things can look bad, we do not have to be Debbie Downers. And we do not have to be negative about things. We are people of hope. If If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you know, friends, you can't have faith. You can't have faith without hope. You can have hope without faith. You can have hope without faith, but you can't have faith without hope. You, 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 can, you, can, you, can, have, you can have hope that a lot of things can happen and, and it not be a faith-filled thing, but you cannot have biblical faith and not be a person of hope because God is on the move. God knows all about it. God is not asleep at the wheel. And God is a God of the individual. He knows what you're going through. And, and I, some people seem seem sometimes just to have hope and hope. You know, they, hope has to be based on something, or or it's just hope and hope. What is hope and hope? I mean, it's 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 nothing. Hope has to be based on something. And if if I'm if I if I want to be a World-class tennis player, and I have hope of being a world-class tennis player. My hope better be in my work ethic. My hope better be in the fact that I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to work about that. Or if I just sit here and hope that I'm going to be a world-class tennis player, it's never going to happen. Hope has to be grounded in something, and for the and for the Christian, hope is grounded in the promises of God. Hope is grounded in what God has said, and He will not let us down. And that, just like Joseph said. Joseph said that God said it to my great-grandfather, and I'm believing that, and I have hope that God will do that and have trust and confident expectation that God will do that, so don't bury my bones right here. You bury my bones in the place that we will end up. Uh, Christians, if you have faith, you have hope, and there is just no place in the Christian life for Debbie Downers, pessimistic people. We can, we can see stuff going on that shouldn't be going on. We can deal with that and, 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 and we can try to right that or rectify that. But throwing your hands up and saying, well, I'm just going to hold on to Jesus comes. It's not a biblical understanding of faith. Jesus says, I have come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And that doesn't sound like, well, I'm just holding on to Jesus comes. You can have hope without faith, but you cannot have faith without hope. So Joseph says, don't bury my bones in, in, in Egypt. I've lived in 14 cities, and I, right now, to be quite honest with you, I don't give a rip where they bury my bones. I don't know if I have you know, you can bury my bones here or there. I I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I was born in Maysville, Kentucky. I guess you could bury me back there. I grew up in Lexington. I guess you could bury me here. I've lived here a long time. I guess you can bury me here, but it was important to Joseph because of the promise of God, because of the promise of God that he be buried there. I wonder, and I'm totally speculating, and I don't think this would have, would probably have happened but it wouldn't have been cool as those six guys or however many guys carried that coffin from place to place as they wandered around the desert and, and made their trip to the promised land if, if written written on that coffin in Hebrew would have been something like I'm bound for the promised land. <laughs> I, I, I would probably wager a lot of money that that wasn't the case. <laughs> Remember that old song? I am bound for the promised land. I am bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. (laughs) They don't write them like that anymore. (laughs) We are people of hope. Well, my challenge to you is is, are you a hope-filled Christian? Are you Debbie Downer? You know, I've told you this before. When I became a, I was a school teacher when I became a Christian. I couldn't hang out in the teacher's lounge. Because it was the most negative place in the whole school. There he heard all about the bad kids. And all about the honorary parents that wouldn't take care of the bad kids. Because you know what? Negativity rubs off on you. That's why you have to be careful who you hang around with. Because negativity rubs off on you and as Christian (laughs) we are called to be people of hope how can that work out in your life how can that work out in your life can I tell you that as Christians we also we cope with hope (laughs) how do we deal with the difficult times in life um, there's I'm not going to put down anybody going to a psychiatrist or anything like that, but the way we cope with all the ups and downs and over and unders of life is we cope with hope. We, we cope that God is with us. We cope, hope, cope that God will never lead us and forsake us. We, we cope that God is on his throne. God is not up there uh, freaking out that things are going the way they're going down here. We, we cope with hope. At every funeral, I read First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 15. Brothers and sisters, Paul wrote, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. We don't use that phrase, sleep in death. I wish Paul hadn't used it, to be quite honest with you, because I just wish he said those who've died. You know, we're afraid of that word death, and there's no, re- there's no way Christians should be afraid of that word death. We say passed away. Because we're afraid of that word death. For the Christian, death is victory. When I was when I was around my dad's deathbed and he breathed his last, it was victory. It was victory. But it seems like we're 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 afraid of that word death, and we talk about people have passed away. Where are they passed away to? I mean, where, they've died. My dad's dead. His soul has gone to heaven. Death is something that Christians should be able to deal with better than anybody. Talk to funeral directors. They said you can taste the difference. You can feel the difference in a funeral of a Christian and a non-Christian. The vibe is completely different. Why? Because we're people of hope and that hope is based the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like everybody else who have no hope. You grieve. You grieve, but your grief is not for the one who died. Your grief is for yourself, that you've lost someone near and dear to you. You don't want to pull that person back. that we don't want you to grieve like everybody else grieves who have no hope. <laughs> we cope with hope. We cope with the difficulties of life. And, and why can we cope with hope? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. <laughs> I, I'm trying to tell you this morning that that. that Joseph, by faith, Joseph said, I have hope. Not a, not a wishful thinking, not a hope like, well, I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. It's a, it's a firm conviction, a confident expectation of what God has said. And so because I have this hope, don't bury my bones here. When you make it there, like God says, you will make it there. You bury my bones there. And, you know, obviously... To go through the, to death and when someone dies and tragedies and all that kind of stuff, it, we, we cope with hope. But just the, the normal everything that happens in life type of stuff. In this world, you will have trouble. Paul writes in Romans 8, 38 through 39, Paul writes, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a hope-filled statement for all the ups and downs and over and unders of life. My dad used to say, he said, God has never promised you an easy passage. And he hasn't. There, there is just, there's just no way. There's just no way. Some of the godliest people went through difficulties. The hardest difficulties. That would say that God has not promised you an easy passage. But he has promised you a safe landing. We'll cope with hope. Colossians one twenty seven is a fascinating verse and I I've quoted it to you before. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Christ in you. You can deal with whatever comes your way. The the, the silliness of life and whatever is going on in this world and the tragedies of life and the ups and downs and the moral decay and all the stuff that we see that we never ever would dream that we would ever see. Here's the mystery. Christ in you. I like the way the Phillips translation says. The Phillips translation translates mystery secret. I like it. It says, here's the secret. Christ in you. Christ in you. The Phillips translation says, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. Here's the secret. Here's the secret. Christ in you. And that's why I've told you several times before that my seminary professor, every morning he said, when he shaved, he would quote the Phillips translation of 127 of Colossians, Christ in me, Christ in me, bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. Whatever a seminary president has to deal with on that day, and the ups and downs and the easy things, the hard things, Christ in me, Christ in me whatever you got to deal with with your kids and, and all the stuff that's going on in your kid's life, all the stuff that you're, that you're going on in, in your family's life. Talked to Troy Patterson this morning. His, his mom is, is, could breathe his last at any time. Christ in me. Christ in me. Bring with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. We cope with hope. <laughs> we cope with not a wishful thinking. Well, I hope it... The sun continues to shine today. I hope the Buckeyes beat Iowa next week. I hope that Levi doesn't fail his calculus exam. You know, I hope. But with with worldly hope, there's always a measure of doubt. Not with biblical hope, because it's based in the confident expectation of what God has promised. Of what God has promised. Now let me finish. We're talking about hope, and why are we talking about hope? Because Joseph had hope, so much hope, he said, don't bury my bones here. Don't bury my bones here. Take them with you. Even if you've got to carry them around for, for hundreds of years. When you get there, bury me. And the only reason he had that hope is because God spoke to his great-grandfather Abraham. And Abraham told Isaac about it. And Isaac told Jacob about it. And Jacob told Joseph about it. You see, Christian hope is better caught than taught. Christian hope is better caught than taught. I, I, I serve a purpose here. I, I know I serve a purpose and I've dedicated my life to the preaching of God's word. But let me tell you, I can, I can preach till I'm blue in the faith up here. But if you all don't see examples of Christianity in your own life, watching your parents, watching your friends, watching your grandfathers, where, and and that, that put their Christianity into faith, where, where rubber meets the road type of thing. I'm a priest, I'm blue in the face, and it won't be as good a sermon as your dad preached, in the living out of his life. It won't be as good a sermon as your mother preached, in the living out of her life. Because the Christian hope, the Christian faith, is better caught than taught. I think it's fascinating that Josephs. We're talking about Joseph today. Joseph's daddy, Jacob. When Jacob came to the end of his life, this is recorded for us in God's word. When Jacob was 147 years old, the time drew near for him to die. He called for his son Joseph. That's who we're talking about today, Joseph. He called for his son Joseph and said to him, do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. The verse goes on to say, Joseph said, I will do as you say. And Jacob said, swear to me. And Joseph swore to him, and Jacob worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Now that is what Joseph witnessed close to the death of his daddy. And isn't it any wonder that when Genesis chapter 50 records Joseph's death, it says almost exactly the same thing. Because in Genesis chapter 50, verses 20 through 26, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will take you up out of this land to the land he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob said, You must bury, bury my bones up from this place. Where did Joseph learn to say that? I don't think it's any coincidence. That on the son's deathbed, he repeated basically the same thing that his daddy did. Friends, I'm trying to tell you that faith is better caught than taught. And you as moms and dads, or will be moms and dads, or you as grandmas and grandpas, how can you pass it down? How can you pass it down? I serve a purpose. All the preachers in the world, I know we serve a purpose. But I'll never, ever be able to reach your son like you can, Mom and Dad. I'll never be able to reach your daughter like you can, Mom and Dad. Because the Christian faith is better caught than taught. I don't, I don't know how to be when I die and, and I hope, now that's a worldly hope because I hope when I die, I have no clue how it's gonna be when I die. But I hope, and there's a measure of doubt in that hope, so that means it's a worldly hope. I hope that my family's around me like we were around dad. And I hope that I have my wits about me enough that close to my death I'll be able to express words of faith. I hope that's the way, I, I, I mean, everybody didn't get that privilege. And I don't understand that, and it's not mine to try to understand. But I hope, I hope that that Christopher's there and Sue's there, and who knows, maybe their, their wives and grandkids would be there. And as an old man, I'll be able to leave them with an expression of faith that will give them hope. And that will nurture their faith, strengthen their faith, because faith is better caught than it is taught. Oh, it's too personal for me. I, I can't. It's hard for me to talk about it. Uh, for the sake of your children, get over that. You don't have to. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to understand everything. You don't have to be able to know wherever uh, memorize a whole bunch of verses. But if your faith is real, you better be able to give expression to it. And if, if you can't give expression to it, there's a problem with your faith. It, it bugged me this week. I, I, I'm honorary. I'm I know I am. And I'm, I can get judgmental sometimes. But I, I expect a lot out of people. And the reason I expect a lot out of people is because I got saved. I didn't get saved any better than anybody else. When God saves people, he he saves them all the same way, and things just came easy for me. But we were out working on our last day, and and there was a couple of ladies there, and it was lunchtime. And so I happened to be doing something, or I can't remember what it was. And she, and she, she goes, So I wasn't with the group. They were getting ready to eat lunch. She goes, "You're a pastor, aren't you?" I said, "Yes." She goes, "Would you pray for us?" You don't know how you don't know how pastors dislike that statement, right, Harold? Pray for yourself. (laughs) You don't need a paid religious guy to come up and say some kind of prayer. So be old smart like me. You know what I did? I I walked up to the circle. And my, my boy was there. And I said, Christopher, pray. And they, they witnessed a 19 year old praying. And I called on Donovan to pray. Donovan's 16 years old. I called, they get to see a 16 year old kid praying, and this 60 year old lady wouldn't pray. Come on, people. You got to do your own praying. And the reason a lot of people don't like to pray out loud is because they're, 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 well, what would I say? What would the people around me say? Who gives a rip what the people around you say? You're talking to God. You're talking to God. Well, I don't know how I get on that. I don't know how I got on that. I'm, I'm, I, please believe me. Sue and I have made unbelievable amount of mistakes in raising broke boys. But you know one thing that we did right? They've been praying out loud since they could talk. And so why can Christopher pray? Christopher prays because he's such an unbelievably, unbelievably spiritually mature person. No, he can't. He doesn't pray for that because of that reason. He prays because he's been praying since he could talk. And he's heard his dad pray. I wasn't saved I was 34, but you should have heard me praying when I was a pagan and I was 26. You should have heard me praying for my basketball teams before the games. I wasn't anywhere close to being a Christian. But you know what? I'd heard my dad pray for 26 years. My dad taught me to pray. Even though it hadn't reached my heart yet, I knew how to pray because my, I caught it from my dad. I caught it from my dad. What are you passing down, friends? I'm here to tell you this morning the hope's better caught than taught. You cope with hope, and hope is part and parcel of being a Christian, part and parcel. You you cannot have faith without hope, Christ in me, Christ in me. You know what? If Christ is in me, maybe Luke had it right when he wrote, nothing is impossible with God." Paul had it right when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If Christ is in me, I can face any situation. Oh, in my humanness, I may make a bad decision and mess it up, but God is with me. And I can deal with whatever comes my way. And only when I stop trusting and get living in my flesh is when I get away from that a little bit. Christ in me. Christ in me. Bringing with him the hope of all the glorious things to come. (laughs) What's our hope as Christians? Can I say something that's rather controversial? But our hope is not only in the death burial of Jesus Christ, it's in the death burial resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we didn't have an empty tomb, let's let's just absolutely shut this faith down And let's just go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's what Paul said. Our hope is in the empty tomb. It's in the empty tomb. Our hope is really not in the cross, as bad as that sounds. Because if the cross wasn't followed by an empty tomb, then the cross was nothing more than a martyr's cross. Through through the blood of Jesus, our our sins are forgiven. But if he hadn't rose from the dead, which would have meant he was just an ordinary person, then he couldn't have died for his own sins. Nevertheless, died for my sins or your sins. It's the empty tomb. It's where our hope is. So we serve communion every Sunday, and that's fine. I think that's good. And and it's a symbol of things that Jesus did for his death. I wish we could come up with something that celebrated the empty tomb every Sunday. because cause we have hope because God says I'll raise my son from the dead and he did it and if he raises his son from the dead he'll raise us from the dead as well we have hope and we cope through all of our troubles with hope our servers are coming to the tables Father <clears throat> there's a whole lot in this world Father, for us to get upset about. A whole lot in this world, for us to just scratch our heads about and throw our hands up and, and say, My goodness, the world is just falling apart. And those of us that live long enough to see that, we understand how it used to be. And God, God, it's so easy sometimes to be negative, it's so easy sometimes to be pessimistic. But as I read this Bible, it seems like being negative and being pessimistic has nothing to do with being a Christian. Now, Father, we know we live in a world and we don't stick our head in the sand and ignore all the bad things that are going, but we can go through those bad things. We can walk through those bad things. We can cope with those bad things because of the hope that we have in you. And so just as Joseph When he was near the end of his life, expressed hope in the promise that you gave Abraham, his great-grandfather. We can express that same hope every day in our life. The hope that your word is true. The, 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 The firm conviction that your word is true and we can deal with whatever comes our way because you'll never leave us and forsake us. God, take this message and use it in all of our lives, in whatever way it needs to be used. In Jesus' name, amen. You may want to receive at our tables. You may want to receive in your pews. You may want to come pray around the altar. You Use these next moments as you see fit, please.